Thanks so much for joining us today. The Bible reading for this message is taken from Acts chapter 15, from verse 22 through to verse 41. It would be great if you could push pause on this video right now and go and read through that passage from the Bible and then come back and listen. Also, if you haven't subscribed to this channel yet, why not take the opportunity now and do that, sign up. And if anything that gets said during the course of this video is useful or helpful or encouraging to you in your life, why not push the like button? We'll see you back here in just a moment after you've read through Acts chapter 15, verse 22 to 41. One of the most wonderful and profound gifts that you can give to a person is encouragement. There is nothing in all the world like having somebody come and say something to you that lifts your spirits. Uh, to be going in a particular direction and for somebody to come and talk to you and to reinforce the decisions that you're making in your life. Uh, to be doing well and to have somebody notice it and to spur you on to keep on doing what you're doing. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 24, we read this. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. The book of Acts is a work for the encouragement of Christians. At the same time, it offers them a confident basis from which to address and speak to the contemporary world that they live in. The idea of salvation is a central theme in the book of Acts, and the way that that message of salvation was proclaimed and advanced uh, through the time just after Jesus had ascended into heaven to be with his Father, he'd left the disciples with the Holy Spirit, the book of Acts records that advance. It also takes up the idea of the renewing work of God uh, as he brings together all the nations of the earth and forms one people from every language and every tribe and every nation who have a profound unity in their shared faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and for the salvation of their souls. And the book of Acts also contains with it the stories of the progress of the word. Uh, the stories that show that what is happening is that God is very much at work. The expansion is impressive and it's far-reaching. And yet what lies behind it all is that God is actively directing and enabling that progress because it depends on God's will and God's purposes. And as we follow the story, we actually follow the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. As we trace the activity of the Holy Spirit, we actually observe that progress of the gospel. In fact, in the passage that we're looking at today, in chapter 15 and verse 28, we read that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And that little reference is that as the elders and the apostles in Jerusalem looked at what had taken place. They saw that the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Jews in Jerusalem, that the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Cornelius, who wasn't a Jew, he was a Gentile, that's he was from the other nations. The Holy Spirit had been poured out uh, on those who had believed the gospel that Paul and Barnabas had preached in Acts 13 and 14. James verified that then when he quoted from Amos chapter 9, 
Uh, back in the first half of chapter 15, he says, actually, this is what the Word of God says. And so when we look at what the Spirit is doing, what the Word of God says, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And that's really where we come into the book of Acts, uh, well, into this particular section, this episode. So what happened last week? Some people come from Jerusalem. Uh, they, mess, uh, they bring uh, a teaching to Antioch that Paul and Barnabas can't agree with. They say that in order to be a Christian, you actually have to become a Jew first and be circumcised. Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem. Uh, the elders and the apostles to get together. They have a council. They hear Peter speak. They hear Barnabas and Paul speak. They hear James speak. And they come to a decision. No, you are saved uh, by grace through faith in Jesus. Everybody is saved the same way. No one has to become a Jew first. And then they say, but it would be good uh, for the sake of the fellowship, for the sake of not upsetting others in the church, uh, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, to have some uh, shared and common observances, not in order to be saved, uh, but in love for the others who may come from a different background or a different tradition to yourself. So that's where we arrive right at the end of last week. It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult for anyone to become a Christian. We should not make it difficult for anyone to be a Christian. If, they, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it is wrong for others to make it difficult for you to make progress in the gospel by putting uh, things in your way or in place that God himself does not require. Take, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Jesus is hard enough in and of itself. And so we shouldn't be making it difficult beyond that call that Jesus gives to us. So that's where we arrive at the end of the first half of 15. So what happens next? Well, the apostles and the elders and the whole church decided that they would do two things. Firstly, they would choose some of their own and send them as an envoy from Jerusalem to Antioch. And with them, they would also send a letter confirming what it was that what had been decided. So there's a letter that goes, as well as some uh, live uh, action characters uh, to explain that letter. And so... They write this letter, and this is what it says, verse 24. We've heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So they acknowledged that there were some that had gone out, but they didn't go out with any authority from the church, and they had actually troubled them, and they had caused them to question whether or not they were saved, whether or not their salvation was real, whether or not they really were Christians. So they disturbed you and they troubled your minds. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we're sending these two guys, Judas and Silas, to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. So they've got the written word and the spoken word. And it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You to our you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. 
So the question that's going to kind of jump into our minds is, if they decided that there, it wasn't about law-keeping in order to be saved, that you couldn't earn your salvation, it wasn't about working for it, why are these stipulations put into place? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons, and if you want to take this up with me during the week, pop me a message, take you out for a cup of coffee, and we can go more into the relationship of the law and the gospel. But in, in very simple terms, what's being highlighted here is a call out of paganism on the one hand, but also a call to keep uh, relationships and, and the fellowship that they have in Jesus Christ in the faith as they are considerate and loving toward their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ and the traditions that they have followed up until this point. When uh, these stipulations are put down, uh, these uh, recommendations, as it were, um, that they are being invited uh, to partake in, what they really are is they're being called out of idolatry, they're being called out of sexual immorality, and they're being called out of violence. And when you stop and think about those things, that really is Jesus' command of you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. So no idols, no idolatry, uh, no worshiping something above God. That's just the opposite of loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then when you think about the immorality and violence, and although we acknowledge, like David does, that against you, Lord, against you, Lord, only have I sinned, and when we do those things, we sin primarily against the Lord. The sexual immorality and the violence actually takes up the loving your neighbor as yourself. You are to remain sexually pure in every area because that is part of what loving uh, your neighbor looks like. You are to refrain from violence because all people are created in the image of God and to be violent against them in any way uh, shape or form, uh, whether it's abuse or murder, that is wrong. And, and so what you have working out here is a, a pattern of living that flows out of salvation, not a pattern of living to earn salvation. And, and the question that is really at the heart of this, because these, these people who are coming out of the nations and they were being called out of these things where it was common practice to worship idols, where it was common uh, worship practice to engage in sexual immorality uh, and violence in the temple worship and in the places that they were coming out of, the, the, the heart of all of this is, are you going to carry on being influenced by your culture or are you, through the gospel, going to become a cultural influencer? Will you be influenced or will you be an influencer because now you have been given the gift of the gospel? You know a better way. And the one who you serve is not the one in the pagan temples. It is the one who sits on the throne in heaven. So it's a warning to abstain from acts that would offend. It is an encouragement to break completely with every pagan association and practice. It is a call to do all things to the glory of God causing no one to stumble. If you want to put it positively, you can put it like that. It's a call to do all things to the glory of God, fulfilling those two great commandments, causing no one to stumble along the way. Now, this has got so much application for us today. Uh, it's not just removed from the first, it's not just the first century, and you think that's far removed. 
Today, like every age, we struggle with idolatry. And it might not be with little wooden carved idols or stones or statues, but we struggle uh, with serving things, even good things, and turning them into ultimate things and pursuing them. Uh, loving anything more than we love God is a form of idolatry. And I think in our time, in our day, our idols look more like lifestyle and experience choices and, and chasing after the things that the world chases after and the things that the world values. It is not loving the things that God loves, but loving the things of the world. It's not loving uh, and pursuing and trusting in the things that God commands and promises. It's uh, loving and pursuing the things that the world promises. But the things that when we finally attain them or get them, we discover uh, that they're empty shells. It's a call to leave behind sexual immorality in all of its various forms, in all the ways that we are bombarded with it. It's to learn to guard our eyes and our minds and to take every thought captive for Jesus Christ. It's a warning against pornography. It's a warning against adultery. It's an encouragement to work hard within our marriages uh, to, uh, towards uh, sexual purity uh, within them doing everything that we can to guard them. It's a warning to those of us who are single uh, to uh, guard that aspect of our life and to learn to submit it to the Lord and to wait upon Him uh, to provide for that. It's a warning against violence. It's a call against all forms of violence. You know, physical abuse, uh, verbal abuse, uh, mental abuse, emotional abuse, any form of violence against another human being we're called out of, and we're called to live a different way. I'm going to say it again, because I can't say it enough. In positive terms, it is to love the Lord your God with all your mind, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your hearts, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself, to do all things to the glory of God, causing no one to stumble. So that's the first part. So that's from verse 22 to verse 29. So the men go get sent off, verse 30, and they go down to Antioch. And when they were gathered, the church got together and they delivered the letter and the people read it and they were glad for its encouraging message. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they, were the, where they and many others taught and preached the word of God. So the second part of this chapter is about the reception. So remember, the people at Antioch, their minds had been troubled and they had been disturbed. Now the letter comes back with an official uh, group set of messengers from the church in Jerusalem. And so what you really have is what reception what did did the church have? How did they take the news that they received? Well, and this is really where we're getting into this idea of encouragement, that the book of Acts is encouraging, and the power of speaking an encouraging word, that the, the pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. So remember, they sent Paul and Barnabas off. They were waiting for them to come back. They didn't know what the news was going to be. There was no Facebook. There was no Twitter. There was no Instagram. There was no email. They had to wait physically for the people and the letter to come back. And so this is the reception 
when the news comes back, the people read it and they were glad for its encouraging message. So that's the first thing. What's more is that Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. And when it was all said and done, after they'd spent some time there, they were sent off uh, with a blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. There was a complete restoration and, and there was a complete uh, renewed understanding and commitment to the gospel, even to the point uh, that Paul and Barnabas, who stayed in Antioch, because that's where they were from, uh, they and others taught and carried on preaching the word of the Lord. So that's the reception. Let me just say a couple of things about the reception that it received. I think the first thing that we need to understand is that there is a, uh, a commonality, so not, so not common, uh, a shared commonality. There is a, a congregational element to what takes place here. All the people read it, and all the people were glad for its encouraging message. And Judas and Silas, they said much to encourage and strengthen all of the believers. One of the things that we've got to understand is that there is a shared identity for those who find salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, if you even think about the services, you know, when we gather on a Sunday, what we participate in is common prayer, uh, corporate prayer, congregational worship. There is a coming together. In Jesus Christ, there is a setting aside and a laying aside of individualism because we all share in one common faith, one common hope, one common love, one common Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We share in one central salvation. And the second thing that I want us to understand is that there is truth that the gospel strengthens our hearts. The gospel encourages our hearts. Did you notice what was taking place? They were encouraged by the reading of the letter. They were encouraged and strengthened by the speaking or the exhortation, the preaching of Judas and Silas. And at the end, Paul and Barnabas and others they taught and they preached the word of the Lord. The gospel is strengthened in our hearts by hearing it, by being assured and affirmed in it, and by listening to the exhortation. And that results in demonstrating the reality of our faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, that's incredibly important. To know that when you listen to preaching, when you listen to Bible teaching, it is there to encourage you in your faith and to strengthen you in your faith. Those are words of encouragement. And those words of encouragement are there not only for ourselves, but also shared in a common pot. And they are there to pass on to others. So let me ask you this. I don't want to just ask you what encouraging words... Have you spoken to somebody this week? Or what encouraging words will you speak to somebody this week? I want to ask you, what encouraging words, gospel words, words full of grace, words full of our Savior Jesus Christ, what encouraging words along those themes are you going to speak into somebody's life this week to affirm them, to assure them, to spur them on to love and to good deeds? Uh, we recognize that after there was this resolution on doctrine and practice, 
on who can be saved and how it is that they're saved, there's a notable advance in gospel work. We see this cycle over and over in the book of Acts, uh, where there is uh, suffering, where there's persecution, where there's difficulty, and then there is peace, and then the gospel spreads, and the word of God spreads. And so we need to recognize as well that, that there are cycles in the Christian story. There are cycles in the kingdom of God. Um, I think one of the things that comes to mind for us as a church is that we're busy going through 2020 and we're busy uh, looking forward to and praying and longing for the other side of it. But are we ready? Are we geared up when we get to the other side of it for a harvest that God might have for us? Are we ready for that time of peace where we see a great advance in the growth of the gospel? It's also... I think, a reminder for you and I that we constantly need to have our hearts strengthened by the gospel of grace. That it is important for us to listen to the exhortation of the scriptures, to the exhortation of preaching and teaching that focuses our minds on the gospel of grace, on the gospel that saves us. When you think about sermons and you think about Bible studies, I know I do it as well. I get caught up and I go like, hey, what's the application? What does this mean for me? How does this earth it? How am I going to earth this into people's lives? I know that when I listen to preaching, it's the same. Hey, what's the application of this? But what I see from Acts chapter 15 is that what we need more than anything else is the preaching and exhortation of the gospel itself. That it is the gospel of grace and hearing the gospel of grace that strengthens us. That's why the writer of Hebrews can say, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Now, I'm really good at quoting verses 1 and 2, but I've actually got to turn to my Bible to tell you what verse 3 says. And that really is, I think, the punchline of that little section of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. It says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Friends, can I say that if you find yourselves growing weary and losing heart in life, if you find yourself growing weary and losing heart in the Christian faith, if you find that you're asking, is it really worth it? And why God? What you need more than anything else, the encouragement that you need in your life right now is Jesus. The encouragement to hear the gospel all over again, to be reminded of the salvation that you heard about at first, when you first put your faith in Jesus Christ, and to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. And so I hope and pray that this message this morning will be a message of encouragement to you. That it will come wherever you are at right now in your journey with the Lord. Maybe you're downtrodden and beaten and kicked and lying on the side of the road. Maybe you've gotten going, but you're just not sure if you're doing it right. Maybe you're sailing along and it's wonderful. Wherever you might find yourself, it's actually the same encouragement that each one of us needs to keep on going, uh, to be lifted up by the hand of the Savior, to let him take that burden and that yoke from you, and to keep going in that direction, keep running towards God, walking, plodding, putting one step in front of the other. 
knowing that we do this together as a church. We have a common faith. We're not in this alone. And we're stronger and we're better when we're together. So let's do it together. Let's come together and speak these words of encouragement to each other. I challenge you to find one word of encouragement, at least one word of encouragement to speak one to one person this week in our church. I know you can do more than that, but we're going to just go for some low-hanging fruit. Would you bow with me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would be uplifted and encouraged by your word today, that your spirit would be at work in our lives and in our church and even in our community, calling people to Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that as people look at us as your children, they will see that we are encouraged and they will ask, what is it that we have? What is it that we hold to? And that, Lord, you will give us the boldness and the courage to share that with them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.